Um, we have to like have an intro for this thing. So what do you want our intro to be? <laughs> Cue the silence. <laughs> Rachel and Ben looking at her, uh, each other like furtively. <laughs> I feel like we need to hear the inspirational music first. This is uh, the Medicine Lit Review. We are reviewing literature in medicine for learners, residents, medical students, because it is boring, and we're going to try to make it less boring with some vignettes and deeper dives into it, and just like a casual discussion. My name is Sean Dickton. I'm a third-year medicine resident. I'm here with my co-hosts, Rachel Redfield. Howdy. And Ben Jones. Hi. Hey, guys. (laughs) How are we doing? We are fabulous. Uh, we're lit. We're lit. <laughs> it no, is. Lit. We're not. That's fine. <laughs> we're we're trying to get there. I'm ready. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, first podcast. First episode. First episode. Yeah. First of how many so we're doing? We're doing three. We're just right just three. Just that. <laughs> just two. <laughs> I, I listen to too many podcasts. Is the problem? Yeah. Uh, You've been preparing your podcast voice for way. This too is long. my life. I like. I dare you to find me doing laundry without a podcast playing. Poor Sandra. Yeah, yeah, she don't like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, I have a patient I want to discuss with you guys. I'm excited about this. Yeah? All right. This is a 30-year-old woman. Uh, she has a past medical history of IV drug use and hep C uh, infection. Uh, she presents with fevers and chills for two days. She is febrile and tachycardic, and she has painful res- red lesions on uh, some of her fingers, consistent with Osler's nodes. Mm. Uh, in the emergency department, uh, blood cultures are drawn, and she has started on IV vancomycin. Uh, bedside echocardiography shows a mobile hy- hypodensity attached to the uh, tricuspid valve. Uh, she's admitted for endocarditis to your internal medicine service. And the question that I have for you guys is, from your experience, I want you to tell me what's going to happen next. What's the trajectory of this illness? Trajectory? Like, what are we going to do for her? Yeah, what are you okay. going to do for her, and what is going to happen with this patient? All right. So from my perspective, you know, usually we're thinking about gram positives when it comes to endocarditis. So I think the IV vancomycin, if you're concerned about MRSA, maybe she has a previous MRSA infection, maybe you know her nasal swab. I think IV vancomycin is would be very typical um, cool. at our hospital to start. Of course empirically waiting for the blood cultures to come back likely what will come back is either going to be mssa or MRSA, um and we would either switch to you know nafcillin cefazolin or cefazolin um, if it was mssa or we continue on iv vancomycin we would possibly consider doing a tee on her depending on how fast her blood cultures clear and if she has any other back pain, anything we can scan, we'd probably do it searching for um, any other source. That was amazing and very thorough. Thank you. Let's say her course, her uh, culture's clear. Or sorry, Ben, do you have anything else that you want to add? I actually took this uh, that question in a completely different direction. Please give me it. give me your totally <laughs> different direction. So uh, I want to know what IV drugs she's using, and I want to treat her for uh, the p- 
probably opioid addiction if I were going to be, if like in the context of like the current um, opioid epidemic. Okay. Um, you know, yes, she needs endocarditis treatment. I, I don't doubt that at all. But I think uh, one of the really important um, treatment uh, modalities that we need to consider for this patient is um, symptomatic treatment for uh, IV drug withdrawal or heroin withdrawal and, um, you know, trying to make sure that this patient actually stays in the hospital to get their treatment. Uh, because what has been my experience is that patients leave against medical advice if they uh, don't feel like their withdrawal is being treated adequately. That was so good and also so wise. <laughs> I, I jump right into the medicine and you're just thinking big picture. Well, I mean, as a good the, primary care doctor would, what's going to kill this patient is is the endocarditis if we don't treat it. Well, so, like, or to, be, the, yeah. to be fair, or I the addiction. There's always there's the uh, the chronic diseases, and then there's the acute disease, and like I think we have we have to be mindful of uh, the chronic diseases too. Definitely, and I mean, at least at our hospital, we don't have a lot of good resources. At least I will say, as a resident, I am not routinely educated on the resources that we have um, for treating this patient's big picture. And I end up focusing on the things that I have control over, like what IV antibiotic I'm going to (laughs) use. Because that's quite frankly easier to do. I think there should be a um, a future podcast about um, uh, opioid uh, use disorder and the the trials associated with that. Um, But for now, I think the focus will be on the uh, bacterial endocarditis that this patient has. Love it. Well summed up. Okay, let's say we're going to uh, move forward in this patient's course. Blood culture speciate the following day with methicillin-sensitive Staphylococcus aureus. She's appropriately narrowed to cefazolin. Nice. Uh, she doesn't have any other uh, symptoms like back pain. There's no other embolic phenomenon uh, that you uh, notice. She gets formal, more formal echocardiography uh, that does confirm uh, vegetation on the tricuspid valve. How big? Uh, <laughs> if I had a nickel. Uh, we're we're, we're going we're gonna to say five millimeters. Five okay, millimeters. That's, that's, Five millimeters. Okay. That's bigger than I'm right. typical. It's not okay. that big. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's she's going to be treated with antibiotics. Uh, she is now in on your service. Uh, it is Thursday, and she has gotten uh, ten days of IV cefazolin. Okay. Uh, and you are discussing disposition with this patient. During her hospitalization, uh, she has been offered uh, medication-assisted therapy uh, and is now uh, on Suboxone. <gasps> nice. Uh, Blessings. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah. God's work. So now uh, we're trying to figure out a safe disposition plan with her. Okay. So now what do you think will happen with this patient? Mm. Okay, so is your question, are we going to continue IV antibiotics? Or aren't you? What a question. <laughs> and what a segue. Thanks. It's almost like you knew what this was. And I don't. I, so people, this I'd is like to know. the partial oral versus intravenous antibiotic treatment of endocarditis or poet. Nice. Uh, poet. Oh, okay. Poet. Right. And pretty, pretty, pretty apt. So we're going to be discussing the poet trial. Uh, so this is a randomized control multicenter trial uh, of 400 Danish adults. <laughs> I know. 
the uh, I like I like reading where it comes out of Copenhagen University. It doesn't get more Danish. Danish than that. Is it Danish? Dutch. Dutch. Copenhagen, Denmark. No, Denmark is Danish. We suck. This I am, is. I am literally going to let you just. This is podcast <laughs> gold right now. <laughs> uh, it's 400 Danish adults in stable condition with left-sided endocarditis from four specific organisms: Staph aureus. Different uh, from our patient that had right-sided endocarditis. I'd just like to point out. Spoilers. Whoa. Uh, so uh, only patients who had Staph aureus, Enterococcus fecalis, uh, Streptococcus species, or uh, coag-negative Staph. Um, they had... Uh, so those are basically the uh, inclusion criteria for the study. The exclusion criteria were anyone who had uh, valvular abscess, which they had on TEE. Patients that were too heavy, BMI greater than 40. Uh, other infections that needed IV antibiotics, because that could have changed what uh, antibiotics they needed. Uh, any reason to suspect decreased absorption of an oral antibiotic in the gut, which is sort of subjective. Uh, and then last, and I think this is most interesting, any concern for reduced compliance. Okay. And we will come back to this. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about what happened, what this, what happened with this patient population. So they got, uh, all of them got a lead in course of IV antibiotics for a minimum of 10 days. So similar to our patient who was sitting in the hospital, got IV antibiotics for a lead in period. Uh, actually in this case, the median for each group was 17 days. So two and a half weeks of IV antibiotics before any randomization. And then they were randomized to either oral antibiotics mm -hmm. or to continue on IV antibiotics. Okay. And they could have any of those bacteria that you suggested. MSSA, MRSA. They could have. I'm going to come back to the okay, sorry. M MSSA. No, no, I love it. We're going to come back to the MR MSSA and MRSA. Ben, are you reading ahead? No. <laughs> you dirty, you dirty dog. Okay. Um, if you were in the oral group, uh, you got continued. There was a median of 17 days of oral antibiotics. And if you're in the IV group, there was another median uh, of 19 days of antibiotics. Uh, one of the biggest... Uh, draws for this trial, and they cite this in the discussion later, is why is this a good idea? Like, why do we care as we're trying to figure out what to do with our 30-year-old female patient in the hospital who we've initiated on medication-assisted therapy and have treated her endocarditis? Like, why? I mean, at least from my experience, is that especially if a patient has a history of IV drug use and we require that they go on uh, therapy that is IV, which is almost all the patients, they have to be placed in a facility that is okay with someone who has a PICC line who also has a history of IV drug use. Yeah. Agree. There's there's a concern that people are going to use a PICC line to inject drugs. Yeah. That's is the bottom line. And so I think this would reduce significantly reduce length of stay. Um, uh, yeah, so the trial uh, authors even cite, they say longer hospital stays have psychological and physical impacts on patients. Um, and then they mention how outpatient parenteral treatment is logistically complicated and requires a lot of follow-up. And if oral regimens are just as safe and just as efficacious, it makes a lot of sense for both patients and providers to to switch to that. So the length of stay uh, improvement is is. Um, very significant and is borne out in the papers. So they say the IV group has a length of stay of 19 days. Uh, the oral group has a length of stay uh, after randomization of three days. So, oh my God, that's so, so much better. Um, some interesting notes about the oral regimen. 
what for example so let's say that you had the choice of switching our patient to something oral from her ANSEF. you know what the organism is culture's rapidly cleared what would be something that you would switch them to I mean, I guess I never usually do that. <laughs> I know, right? Because we always use IV antibiotics. But if you could. Well, so I think the question would be about um, thinking about cellulitis. Like, if, it, like, this could be a non purulent cellulitis, what would you switch them to? Keflex? <laughs> You'd probably get good strep coverage with Keflex. Right. Um, I like, I think Bactrim would be a reasonable option for this patient. I even think there's some data about fluoroquinolones, which like makes me super nervous because there's so much resistance with fluoroquinolones, but like, like Cipro has really good bioavailability, mm-hmm. but like, it makes me a little bit like shudder in my, like, to be like, Oh, let's give him Cipro. Like, I, I just feel uncomfortable saying it. Uh, so the oral regimen that these patients were discharged on was two antibiotics, two oral antibiotics that had good oral absorption. Uh, the most common regimen was uh, for Staph aureus was decloxacillin and rifampicin. Decloxacillin. I never use that unless I have like... When was the last time you wrote a prescription for decloxacillin? Okay, only in a lactating woman who has... Mammary ma- mastitis. No. Mastitis. That's amazing. That's the only time I have ever used that is for a lactating woman with mastitis. The cloxacillin. Amazing. The second most common regimen was amoxicillin and uh, rifampicin. For enterococcus, the most common regimen was amoxicillin and moxifloxacin. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, second mm-hmm. most common regimen was amoxicillin and linezolid. Linezolid. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. So did they break this up into which, you know, obviously um, MRSA versus MSSA should be treated differently. You're not going to treat with decloxacillin. So uh, I'm going to second time put the pause on the MRSA button because so they so there's staph aureus, enterococcus, streptococci and coag negative staph. Um, also, in the most common regimen, I'm only bringing this up because it's weird, the most common regimen in coag-negative staphylococci is fusidic acid and linezolid. Mm. Have you guys heard of fusidic acid? <laughs> Say that one again. Fusidic acid? That's not a medication. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked it up. It is an antibiotic. I've just, I've never prescribed it and I can't say I've heard of it. What are the The Danish doing? God, I hope it is Danish. So the the Danes are from Denmark. (laughs) Oh, thank God. (laughs) The Dutch are from the Netherlands, which is Holland. Okay. It is not uncommon to mix those up. Thank you for that validation. According to the internet. (laughs) Thank you, Ben, and the internet. Fusidic acid. Okay, back to fusidic acid. Wild little drug here. (laughs) So, um... It's a protein synthesis inhibitor, uh, prevents turnover of elongation factor G from the ribosome, mm-hmm. effective primarily on gram-positive bacteria. I have never <laughs> heard of it because it's developed by Leo Pharma in Denmark. It is marketed, it is approved for use under prescription in South Korea, Japan, Canada, the EU, Australia, and New Zealand, Thailand, India, and Taiwan. A different oral dosing regimen based on uh, pharmacokinetics is in current is in clinical development in the U.S. 
So Sean, yeah. I would like to thank you for including all the Danes out there <laughs> so that they feel included. In what this a podcast. study. Thank you, Danes. <laughs> if this, if a single person from Denmark listens to this <laughs> podcast, I will be elated. <laughs> all right. Comment below. Comment below. Like, comment like, comment, below. subscribe. I don't think it works like a YouTube video. <laughs> anyway, let's keep going. Okay. So where are we? Th- we are, where are we with our patient? All I know is our patient has had... 10 to 14 days yes. of average 14 days of IV antibiotics okay. of our choice. I thought we said 10. We're going to increase it. Well, well but the, the average in the study, we are doing 10. 17. 17. Median. Yeah. Sorry. Median days was 17. So yep. let's make it 17. Okay. So we've been plugging along yep. 17 days in. I haven't had a day off. I yep. go in to see my patient. I'm like, hey, girl, it's your lucky day. Fusana <laughs> <laughs> gas is coming your way. <laughs> We got you something from Denmark, girl. <laughs> Fusidic, but yes. Fusidic acid. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Just kidding. Rewind. 17 days. We're in. Now what? We So, th- you know, this study was saying, can we um, send people home with uh, oral antibiotics as opposed to IV antibiotics? Um, the uh, primary outcome was a composite outcome. Uh, the outcome included all-cause mortality, unplanned cardiac surgery, mm embolic events and relapse of a positive blood culture from the previous organism that they were infected with. So a composite of all of those four things, they monitored all of these patients for six months to see if any of those primary endpoints occurred. Wow. Okay. At the end of those six months, it happened in 42 of the total patients. Out of how many again? Uh, 400. 400. 42 out of 400. Yeah. Roughly um, 200 in each group. So that was 24 patients in the IV group, or 12%, and 9% of patients in the oral group. Hmm. That, that was not statistically significant. Uh, the between group difference was 3.3.1%, which again was not statistically significant, which said that that was non, the uh, PO antibiotics were non inferior to IV. So I have a question for you, Sean. What was their margin for non inferiority? I would be really interested in figuring out how they decided what their non-inferiority margin was. Um, because you, you say that there's a between group difference of 3.1%, but uh, how did they get, how did they decide what was non-inferior? Uh, so I'm basing this just off of a piece that they have in the statistical analysis, and we can dig more into the um, supplementary index if we want, but the statistical al- analysis es- it gives us some estimates for each of these potential complications. So they say there's a 2 to 5% risk of um, all-course mortality. Okay. There's a 1 to 3% risk of unplanned surgery. There's a 1 to 2% risk of embolic events, and there's a 1 to 3% risk of um, uh, relapse of bacteremia. So altogether, that's a 5 to 13% if you just sort of uh, add those respective numbers. Um, and then they uh, calculate... Uh, or sort of estimate, rather, uh, a 10 percentage point uh, um, uh, difference. So that was their non-inferiority margin, 10 percentage points. Okay. So what what I'm uh, basically asking about is something called assay sensitivity. So for non-inferior, in non-inferiority trials, you basically, the assay sensitivity is the ability to distinguish between effective and ineffective therapy. Um, and can detect the difference between an active control uh, and the therapy. So our active control in this case is the IV antibiotics. Mm-hmm. The PO is the uh, is the intervention. So 
my understanding of how you do this is you look at the the historical data and you look and say like what have other studies shown for these complications which it sounds like that's what they're kind of doing with all of these complications so you're assuming that your trial is like all of the other studies and um it's this just hasn't been done before so that's what's kind of interesting because and and that's where non-inferiority studies are great because you say like is this study you, you don't have to prove that it's better you just have to prove that it's not worse <laughs> um so i just find that you know i find that fascinating how they how they do that yeah non-inferiority studies are are, are so very interesting so what's the best way to say this so oral uh, antibiotic therapy was uh, was not worse than IV antibiotic therapy alone. Correct. So for patients who received IV antibiotic therapy up to a point and were transitioned to oral antibiotic therapy, um, oral antibiotic therapy was not worse than uh, IV antibiotic therapy alone. Bingo. You got it. Um, they parse out uh, all the different uh, uh, components of the primary outcome, and those individually um, did not have any significant difference in the IV to oral group, which is also an important uh, thing to consider when you think of composite primary outcomes. Um, they looked at safety endpoints, uh, and there was no significant difference in any of the safety endpoints either. Um, and Ben has a big grin on his face. I have a question. How long did they follow these people? Six, Six months. months. Okay. Um, do we think as a group that that is long enough to determine the recurrence for endocarditis? Woof. What a question. I honestly don't know. I I mean, usually I send my patients out and if they come back, like, you know, unfortunately a lot of these patients, because we're not treating their opioid use disorder just like you said at the very beginning of this podcast they may come back with repeat endocarditis and I, I honestly don't spend a lot of time thinking is this a failure of medical therapy or is this a repeat of you know infection from IV drug use which is probably makes me a poor clinician but <laughs> I, think, I don't think it makes you bad clinician. I think that is a huge distinction like that is a huge point because you know we would have to assume that these patients never used IV drugs again yeah, and then had recurrence to be able to tell that this oral therapy wasn't as good or, you know, had recurrence. Mm -hmm. And that is so, that is impossible right now. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's like six months sounds okay to me, but I, I would really want to see longer term, outcomes and almost wonder that all of these people would have to be in structured MAT programs that they like got like they did not use IV drugs yeah and that's such a hard trial to do question did they comment at all on of, of these patients with endocarditis which of them were suspected to be from IV drug use yes they did I'm so glad you brought this up I'm just gonna pull up the numbers right now because they're all left-sided not that an IV drug user can't get left-sided endocarditis but i partially wonder why they didn't just say right and left mm -hmm. you know why was it important for them to pick left i don't so hold on how many patients uh i, w I want you guys to guess real quick um uh, how many patients in this sample of 400 uh had iv drug use um i'm picturing myself in denmark, denmark. 
and I'm looking around. Do they have good opioid use disorder programs? I honestly don't know. But I feel like they're probably better than the U.S. if I had to guess. So I'm going to go with 10%. So 40 patients. I, I would agree. I, th- that sounds reasonable to me. 40 patients. Left-sided being a little bit more rare for um, IV drug use related endocarditis. Uh, it was uh, five patients total. Five. Whoa. Yes. Wow. Which I think brings me to another segue. Um, that is interesting. Which is a quick conversation about the limitations of this study. Yeah, and how to apply it, I like think, to us, my daily life. When I when I think about endocarditis, it's tough for me not to think of endocarditis in the context of IV drug use because as residents now in the setting of an opioid epidemic, this is the primary context within which we see endocarditis, yeah. um, uh, which may be different from physicians who've trained in the past. Um, and I think five patients who had endocarditis in a sample of 400 is not representative of what I see in endocarditis no. in the hospital. And no, I think you guys not, probably agree. That's, I agree. That's um, really with that being said, um, and staph aureus is the most common cause of endocarditis in patients who have IV drug use, only 22% of patients in this sample had staph aureus as the cause of their uh, endocarditis. And among them, what percentage do you think had methicillin resistance that for mm, Like 1%. 5%. Less than that. It was none. No patients had MRSA. What? Yeah. Nobody had MRSA? So five IV drug users, 22% staph aureus, 0% MRSA. Do, do we think that they like ruled them out or? No, there's a lot of. So there's just no MRSA in all of Denmark. No. <laughs> I mean, part of, part of the issue is that. Um, so the way people were referred um Sorry, the way people were enrolled for this trial, and I didn't get into this too much, is that it was um, physician referral into the program. So you had to make a recommendation, oh, I think this patient would be good for this trial, and then have them enrolled, which mm, makes... That's some bias. That's some big league bias. Yeah. Um, uh, and then par- part of the exclusion criteria, which I mentioned up at the very beginning, was that uh, you were excluded if they did not think you had would be you, you would reliably follow up. Um, which really skews, I think, this patient population. Um, yeah. So let me talk about the mean age is 67 years old. Uh, it was predominantly male. Uh, so in the IV category, it was 25% women and 20% in the oral. Um, so predominantly male, predominantly greater than 65, minimal IV drug use, um, and the comorbidities, um, uh, diabetes and renal failure were um, in about 18% and about... Uh, 10 to 12 percent respectively um so i don't know this the in the bigger issues of representativeness i try to think does this sample of patients that we're doing this study on look like the broader patient population or more important to me the patients that i see every day and then from there i ask can i generalize the study is this study generalizable to me and the big question is does this change my practice so i will i will pose it to you guys i mean i think that this study has a place in anybody's practice but it's obviously very narrow i you know i have definitely taken care of patients who have endocarditis who are middle-aged older men who don't have a history of iv drug use and who you know could benefit from going home on oral medications and not spending 10 days in the hospital with you know an iv in them 
So I, I will I apply this to someone who has a history of IV drug use? No. Does that mean that they wouldn't benefit? I don't know. Yeah. Not to uh, bash my attendings, but if I tried to send somebody out on oral antibiotic therapy for uh, endocarditis, left side gram positive, right now, yeah, I would be. Uh, I would be talked down off the ledge. <laughs> <laughs> I think lamblasted is the word you're looking for. Uh, I w- might be referred to the um, <laughs> the evaluation committee suggesting <laughs> I don't Especially think if you bring up he wants acid. To, yeah, <laughs> I'd really like to give this patient fusinic acid. That's like they're not. That's not approved in the United Could States. Could you imagine like, calling the pharmacy? <laughs> they already hate. Me. I would love to call the pharmacy right now from our from my phone. Pretend it's a hospital phone number. Just have this with a Danish accent. With a thick Danish accent. Um, okay, but yeah, so that's the that's the poet trial. It's a, a interesting trial with some some flaws, but but certainly a, a, you know well organized and moving infectious disease forward. And we certainly need new, newer trials in infectious disease. So, Sean, how does this relate to our patient from the beginning? So for our patient, uh, if I try to, in my mind, uh, I think the patient has a, has had a very different hospital course than what um, uh, than what uh, the hospital course in the in the sample here uh, has had, and I don't think I would actually apply um, this uh, the conclusions here to that. I don't know that I would be I would feel comfortable saying that it was it was safe and it's effective for them to go home on an oral regimen. Um, uh, you know, there is data for uh, staph aureus uh, endocarditis here, but they purposefully excluded right-sided endocarditis. So, I mean, uh, that in and of itself sort of excludes my patient, but um, just the, 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 the whole sample itself I don't think is representative enough for me to really make any decisions based off of it. I would probably treat her traditionally or with some guidance of my infectious disease colleagues. Definitely with some guidance. My only other one, I don't know if this is even worth mentioning, but... I will say this, the median of seven, 17 days is a pretty long time. I mean, it will cut down ultimately on big picture, but like in general, if I had a patient who came in, I don't think I usually would keep them for 17 days, you know? And yeah, does that mean that we cut down on rehab stays or, or even just at home need for a nurse to help with, you know, IV antibiotics It's definitely going to be cheaper, um, so maybe it's not really relevant overall. Maybe there's still benefit, but the 17 days I think is, is pretty, it's a good amount of time. I guess yeah. two weeks, you could maybe say just two weeks of IV antibiotic and then finish the course. I mean, some, some, I guess endocarditis almost always buys you four to six weeks. Yeah. I mean, it certainly so. depends on the organism and if you have an intervention, but yeah, you, you yeah. talk multiple guess, weeks. Yeah. At least in this study, I think there's two caveats. Is that one? That's it's a median number, so I think it ranged anywhere from you know low teens up to 20 or something. And then uh, I, around 40 percent um, had some sort of procedure. So among that 400 pa- those 400 patients, around 40 percent had some sort of procedure, whether that was a valve replacement or exchange of an intracardiac device or something along those lines. So not something relevant to our patient either. Cool. Thanks, Sean. That was great. Thank you, Sean. The poet trial. Poet. Poet. You guys feel more poetic? I do. I do. Amazing. We All right. are Medlit Review. It's lit. It's lit. <laughs> <laughs>